scripture for today comes from 2 John, verses 7 to 13. I'll be reading from the ESV. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. This is for later, not for now. We have some really beautiful professions of faith that you'll hear before the benediction. That's what that's for. Next week, we'll conclude our summer series in the letters of John. Today, we conclude the second John. Those of you that know me know I would eventually knock that over. So let's just move it. Watch yourselves, he says. One of the very few imperatives John ever gives. Blepite in the Greek, kind of an aggressive but very mundane word. What does that mean? Well, John's talking about those that, in the name of Jesus, teach something absolutely contrary to Jesus' teachings. Mostly, I think, for John, about himself. That's why he keeps talking about Jesus in the flesh, which was an offensive idea then, religiously. It's less offensive now, but we have different, and we have different versions of it today, I think. And what he's saying is, those of you that are part of a local church, you have a role, which is watching that our teachings represent Christ. Our elders are part of that. Our denomination is part of that. Obviously, as long as I'm the pastor, I'm part of that. We are to watch ourselves and do our very best to represent the mind and heart and teachings of Jesus as presented in all of the scriptures. If you've ever led worship here, you know I have some opinions about some songs and some verses. That's because we don't want to sing things that aren't true. I think my least favorite line is the earth will soon dissolve like sand. That's not true. So we should not sing it. If you've ever led worship here, you know that. Can I get an amen, Mr. Spegney? Yeah. (laughs) When we talk about the sacraments, I... One of the things that I lose sleep over that either makes me a good pastor or someone who needs to work on not over-concerning and over-worrying about things is I want to represent something that's impossible to fully explain well. 
The fact that it's a sacrament means it's going to be, our understanding of it is going to be partial. So when I describe baptism as a sign and a seal, that is what it is. That is the most scripturally true thing about it. But you're like, but what does that mean? I had someone a long time ago in St. Louis, of course none of you would do this, yell at me for how the explanation of why he should baptize this child wasn't good enough. Like it really escalated. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just only going to use scripture to explain this to you. And what scripture doesn't explain, we take on faith and still obey. Jesus' life, his teachings, his resurrection are historic events. They were witnessed by John and others. And what John is talking about is someone who's saying something along the lines of Jesus was just a spirit. He didn't come in the flesh. Now, that teaching is not popular anymore for a whole bunch of reasons, but there are versions of it today where people want to say something along the lines of Jesus was a pretty good teacher, right? Or that's your chosen spirituality, good for you. Do you have a friend who's not a follower of Jesus that thinks it's great that you're religious? That's okay, but if someone in the church says it that way, that's actually heresy. That's leading away from Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It might feel like a subtle point, but it's not. This is not as much a religion as it is a way that includes a religion, but is based in historic events and people. Friends, this church that is 60 years old, we can trace back to John. We could actually find, I mean, it would take a long time and something better than Ancestry.com, but we could do it. We could actually trace humans who've worshipped God through the generations back to this individual who used to have a blue-collar job and then changed everything because not only was Jesus really compelling to be around and explained life and the world and God better than anyone he had ever heard, then he died, then he rose from the dead. And for decades, the people that saw him rise from the, or saw him after he rose from the dead told everybody they could find about it because it changes everything. And then when they started to die, those people that had all witnessed it, they started writing all this down. And we have this very brief, encouraging letter. A number of months ago, I... Um, preached what was for me a very challenging sermon. And in it, I mentioned that sometimes uh, you guys will challenge what I said and misquote me. Sometimes you quote me correctly. I feel like it's about half the time. And I'll go back and listen. If someone says, you said this, and I don't remember, I'll go back and listen. And the reason is I'm trying to watch myself. And sometimes you guys are right, and I'm wrong. And sometimes we just misheard each other. That's us watching ourselves. This is not me saying email less. Sometimes it comes across that way. I'd prefer a face-to-face conversation, but this is me saying, what, email more or schedule more meetings, preferably. Because we, as a community, want to understand this, want to be gripped by it, want to get it as close to accurate as possible. That Jesus actually came in the flesh. And then when he rose from the dead, it changed everything. 
Watch yourselves for those who lead astray. There are so many things that concern me about us being led astray. Legalism is one. I, I've never been happy with the way I summarize legalism, but it's, a, a, it's often a subtle shift in belief away from faith in Jesus and his work towards faith in my actions, because what Jesus wants is for me to obey. Jesus gave commands that we follow as a response of love and because that's the most flourishing life available to humans, not to earn something. Prosperity gospel concerns me. If you act like a Christian, you'll be healthier, wealthier. That's leading people away from the true Jesus. Nationalism concerns me. I've spoke a lot more about that in the past. I'm not going to say a lot about it today. Secularism really concerns me. And here's how secularism affects us. Your friend that knows that you go to church and just thinks, hey, good for you. That's not evil on their part. I know I already said this. I'm going to say it again because I think this is what John's getting at. But when we start to think that that's why we do this, oh, it's just, it's a good thing for me to do. Spirituality is a good thing for me to try. We're no longer abiding in the truth of an historic, in the flesh, Jesus. And if you're visiting, if you're not sure if you're a follower of Christ, if you're considering his claims, terrific, I'm so glad you're here. We believe this is more than a religion. We believe this is a way. We believe it is historic. We believe it is not a bunch of people's opinions about God, but truth. When folks find out you're a Christian, what do they say? I was meeting this week with a friend uh, that I met through the, um, locally, I'm just going to say that. And he is an atheist, and he loves Sam Harris. And you know what that means? He actually knows his Bible really well. I don't know if he has a Bible. He knows the Bible really well. And it was so pleasant because he would never say something like, good for you, getting a little spirituality in your life. It was lovely. And then he asked me, essentially, how come I, how, what keeps me confident in the faith? And I gave him a different version of, we could trace our church back to John, and these people believed these things really happened. And he appreciated that answer. He disagrees very profoundly and with a lot more thought and reading than many of us have done. And we talked about uh, the old... Um, argument that's profoundly true that Sam Harris, the, the writer, would absolutely affirm. You cannot actually read Jesus's teachings and believe that he both didn't come in the flesh and didn't claim to be God. Jesus is either, this is an old formulation, I know many of you are very familiar with it, it's fine. Jesus is either who he says he is or an absolute lunatic. I don't even think liar is actually sufficient. He's just nuts. Before he healed a man, he said, your sins are forgiven. Regardless of what you believe about sin, that's a statement of divinity. I can't forgive your sins, friends. I can forgive ones perpetrated against me, but that doesn't clean you up with God. That just, we are better after that, right? If I ever claim that I can forgive your sins, get me out of the church immediately. <laughs> and I mean that because watch yourselves.
Some of you know that we're in uh, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Some of you know that Presbyterians love to divide over small things compared to, say, Catholics or Methodists. Some of you know that we used to be in the PCUSA. Some of you don't know anything about this. Part of the reason that we left that denomination was because of 2 John. Watch yourselves. And we were worried about the denomination. I have a lot of friends in the PCUSA. I follow some people in the PCUSA on Twitter, which is interesting. That's part of it. And it was way before my time. But I know the leaders who did it, and that's why. They were no longer teaching Christ came in the flesh, rose historically bodily from the dead. Watch yourselves for those who lead astray and instead abide. And I'm skipping something in terms of if you're looking at the text, I'm now in verse 9, but I want to go back to the end of verse 8 because it connects to what it means to abide. Abide is a very important word in the New Testament. It's a very basic word. Meno in the Greek just means remain in Christ. Continue in him. Continue singing. Continue reading your Bible. Continue talking with Christians about the truths of the kingdom. Continue praying for your own heart and life and for your friends and for your church. What's this reward business? In verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And reward language, especially if we preach grace effectively and clearly, can make us uncomfortable. Like if it's free, if, if we receive by faith because of the work of Christ's salvation, nothing, not from anything that we did, well, what's the reward? What's well, both in this life and the next, as we're going to sing about in a few minutes. The, Paul summarizes the reward as righteousness, joy, and peace. Romans 14, 7. In my study of Jesus talking about the reward in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe the earthly reward is a sense of intimacy with God and a sense of what you're called to do and what I'm called to do in the kingdom, which both includes your actual vocation, the family God has entrusted you with, and also faithful presence and evangelism where you find yourself. That's one of the rewards of abiding. But it's also in the next life, which is heaven, unless Jesus returns, and it's also in the life after that, the new heavens and the new earth, where we'll be given work that won't be cursed at all, work that we will literally love all the time because sin and death and evil will be taken away. And John is expecting them to remember all of Jesus' teachings that he wrote about in the Gospel of John, and so he's just referencing that quickly. But I don't want to, like, if you're reading this and wondering what the reward is, that's my best summary of it. And we get to abide. We get to continue to learn to follow Jesus and mature in our following of him, which is a move of mind and heart and action with all the things that have been entrusted to you, gifts, money, stuff. It means we're grateful for what Jesus did, and we thank him for that. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Westminster Confession of Faith is like the, the backbone of what we do as a church. 
It's not all that we do, and it feels wooden, but without it, we would just not be able to stand, right? Those of you in the back can't see, I started to fall over and it didn't. It says this, what are the ordinary external ways Christ uses to bring us the benefits of redemption? Which is a great question. Answer, the ordinary external ways Christ uses to bring us the benefits of redemption are his regulations, particularly the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effective for the salvation of his chosen ones. And then you're like, what makes the word effective for salvation? Obvious next question. They knew that. That's why it's question 89. What makes the word effective? The Spirit of God causes the reading and especially the preaching of the word to convince and to convert sinners and to build them up in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. I know that's old language. Listen, it's supposed to comfort you to be here. My sermon is supposed to both comfort you and convict you. Comfort you that God loves you and likes you and convict you that there are ways that you need to mature in Christ. And me too. And it humbles me every week to have this responsibility. We know and we come to know more deeply. We drink in and are grasped by the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ who came in the flesh and rose from the dead. The ordinary means of grace are why you show up to church. That'd be a great answer, by the way, for a friend who has no knowledge of theology. Why do you go to church? To receive the ordinary means of grace. And then just watch and see what happens. Maybe that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Watch yourselves for those who lead astray and instead abide and enjoy the joy of the gathering. John has already said this in what we call 1 John. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I skipped something. I want to come back to it. Um, John is speaking metaphorically both about the church. When he says the children of your elect sister, he's saying the church that I'm in right now greets you and has affection for you. Therefore, when he says have nothing to do with people that teach that way, he's not saying in your life, don't befriend people that don't believe Jesus came in the flesh. In your church, don't give them the microphone and ask them to talk. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying don't have your neighbor over for dinner. Of course, you're going to have your neighbor over for dinner. That's what neighbors do. Warm, hospitable Christians is what the world needs everywhere. But I will never give the microphone to someone and ask them to talk about the Bible or Jesus who doesn't believe Jesus came in the flesh, rose from the dead historically and evidentially in truth and in space and time. That's what John's talking about when he says, have not have nothing to do with them. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. The church, understand? Okay. And then he's reminding them of how much he likes them. He shortened the letter because he wants to go visit them, and hopefully he got to pretty soon. We have third John, so maybe not quite yet. Spiritual friendship, friends, completes your joy. And completes means matures it. Not, it's over. Now I'm just joyful forever. Yay! No, it's not what that means. 
It is for your good. And many of you know this, and you have made lasting friendships with other Christians. It doesn't mean don't be friends with non Of course be friends with non-Christians. Owls will ever know about Jesus, and some of them are really delightful friends. And that's a mundane good. In addition to that, you need one another. Letters are good. Face-to-face is better. Do you have good friends here? I hope so. And if you just got here, it'll take a little while. And it's risky. I know that. It's also worth it. That our joy may be complete. It's not the phrase. It says that in 1 John 1 also. It is available to you. And I know that you, some of you work many, many hours a week. And it's very challenging to figure out how to do it. I know that if you're married, it's challenging to figure out how to do it. Do we need to be couple friends? Or should we do like men's and women's type things? Should we try and do both? Like, I know that your kids are busy. I really do. I saw a stat this week that my wife immediately said was too low that said that it takes 33.5 hours per week to raise a child. My wife said that was a little low. Thoughts? So I know that it's challenging to also have friends. I know that COVID made it 84% harder. Your, the completion of your joy as a follower of Christ, the maturing of your humanity in Christ is tied to spiritual friendship. And I'm so excited because we have three more baptisms. And we finished Second John, and there's nothing else in my notes. But I wasn't positive that my conclusion was good. So now I'm going to tell you how I conclude every time I don't know exactly how to conclude a sermon. Would you pray with me? <laughs> Jesus, I am so thankful for this brook that reminds us that you are creator. And your creation, though marred, is lovely and beautiful. Jesus, I praise and thank you for parents who bring their children to be baptized and for children who profess faith in you and are then baptized. I praise you for this imperfect, ever-changing community of believers. Would you please grow us up at a speed we can handle or integrate? Jesus, would you help us to watch ourselves that all of our ways Reflect you and your love and guidance. Would you help us to watch ourselves with grace and mercy? Help us to avoid shame and disproportionate anger and unnecessary fear.